0: kingdom of God, and what it is. And as I said, we'll be spending a a few uh, studies on this uh, because it is a vast subject when you consider the kingdom of God so broadly as we are looking at it. And here in John chapter 3, verse 3, of course the Lord's talking here to Nicodemus. Nicodemus has approached him, uh, by night he 's came to him to talk with him to learn of him to figure out uh, uh, who Jesus is exactly uh, the messages that they 've heard from him so far have intrigued him the the ideas of the the healings the 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 miracles that he had worked this was this was appealing to them and he wanted to find more out um, and Nicodemus came to him. But he was probably coming uh, as a response of other Jews wanting him to go. This is probably not Nicodemus going simply on Nicodemus' choice. He was probably going as a representative of the other Pharisees to try to figure out exactly what was going on. Uh, and whether or not uh, Nicodemus believed here or not, uh, uh, he would believe. Uh, he would be one that would be a follower of Christ Jesus. He would be one that would take his body, of course, and, and uh, bury it with Joseph of Arimathea and Joseph's tomb. Um, but here, as Nicodemus comes to him, <laughs> oh, excuse me, Nicodemus understood that the things that Jesus was doing was obviously from God, uh, that he had to be sent from God in order to have uh, such ability and and to be able to heal and do the miracles that he was doing. That's what he says there in verse 2 uh, when he says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Again, Nicodemus was one of those Jews who thought he was in the kingdom. And why did he think he was in the kingdom of God? Because he was of Abraham's seed. He was a Jew. And from their perspective, from what they understood concerning the covenant of the of the Old Testament, what, what God had covenanted with them there, from his perspective, he understood that because he was a Jew, he was okay, and Jesus goes right to the heart of Nicodemus's problem and what Nicodemus needed by declaring to them, Nicodemus, you have to be born again before you can enter into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and so Jesus began, and as we were looking we were looking at this last week, he began his ministry declaring. The kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. We looked at those passages of scripture. Where he declared this. He, he came preaching the kingdom. This is his message even here to Nicodemus. About entering into the kingdom of God. That was his message that he was proclaiming. That man could have an entrance into the kingdom of God. An surety of that entrance. And that it wouldn't just be Jews but also of the Gentiles as well. And he would tell these folks this as he would heal them, these folks that were not of the Jews, that were uh, Syrophoenician, that were Samaritan, uh, that were um, uh, Roman, all sorts of folks that he came across. That he would, that he would declare their salvation, that their sins were forgiven, that they were then brought into the kingdom of God. This is what he was declaring, and this is one of the things that the Jews simply could not handle, is this, this reality that it wasn't just to the Jews, and not only was it not just to the Jews, but even the Jews had requirement, just as the Gentiles did, that they had to be born again. And so Jesus came declaring the kingdom of God. There would, we, we looked last time at those verses that we have there in Isaiah that describe the, the wonders of the kingdom of God and the, the, the animal kingdom itself, the creation itself, all of these things that will be changed. Man dealing with one another in peace during that time. Uh, this, this will be because... Our Lord reigns this is this is talking about the the future physical manifestation of the kingdom. Uh, and Jesus came announcing that kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He declared there in Matthew four and verse number seventeen. He was teaching men that they had an entrance into the kingdom by him um, before his death. We looked at last time he assured his disciples he would share with them uh, in the kingdom of heaven, that they would be with him there, and he promised to return in glory to bring the kingdom to those for whom it was prepared, and he, he gave that example there in Matthew chapter number 25 as he describes, and again this is the the physical manifestation of the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. That there is a spiritual side to it. That it's on, it's going on right now. It's happening. It's already in force. But there's coming a day when our Lord will manifest it physically. When He will come again. When He will take the throne of David and sit upon it. And He will rule uh, heaven and Earth from that place for a thousand year period, which is called the millennial reign, His reign's not going to stop at the end of that thousand years. that 's just a thousand years marked off for him to accomplish some things. At the end of that thousand years, when that finishes, he 's going to finish the particular work that he has prophesied, but his reign goes on. It doesn't stop there. His reign continues, you see. He still rules. He still reigns. It's not going to end at that thousand years. There's just particular prophecies that will be fulfilled at that thousand year period. That he's going to accomplish and that he's going to do. That he's given for us in the book of the Revelation. That's the only reason that thousand years is set apart, you see. is because there are things he's going to do at the end of it. At the beginning of it and at the end of it. Of that thousand year reign, his reign still goes on. His kingdom continues on even after that thousand years is done. We read here in Matthew twenty-five, verse number thirty-one, down through verse number thirty-four, as he is dividing here. This this is uh, him declaring his judgment of the nations and when he judges the nations again he's not going to judge he's not going to take this nation and 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 cast out this nation rather he's judging the nations and from out of all of those nations he will get his people he will bring them out of those nations this is those that are left on the earth at the end Of the tribulation period, there's going to be seven years of tribulation that are going to go on on this earth that the book of the Revelation tells us about. Daniel tells us about there will be the rapture of the Lord immediately following the rapture of his saints as he takes us out of here. There's going to be a seven year period of tribulation. There's going to be great destruction on the earth and Israel will be the focal point of that destruction. They, they will be where it's all lined up against during that seven-year period. Matthew 24, he, he focuses, in fact, 23 and 24, he focuses particularly on Israel, describing to them the things that they would face and the things that they would endure during that tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, at the end of that seven years, He's going to come physically. He's not going to come in the clouds as He did in the rapture, but during this time, He will actually set foot upon the earth. Zechariah tells us that He's going to set foot upon the Mount of Olives, and that mountain is going to split in twain when He stands upon it. And He's going to take His throne in Jerusalem at that time, and thus begins the thousand-year reign of Christ. And it's at the beginning of that thousand years that he's going to be gathering his people to himself. That's not those that are raptured. We're already with him, you see. It's those, rather, that were saved during the tribulation period that are among the nations of the world, and he's going to be bringing them out to himself at this point, at the beginning of the millennial reign. And it's, this event here is called the judgment of the nations. It's kind of, uh, a, uh, kind of a misnomer there because he's not really judging the nations as much as he's gathering his people out of the nations is what he's doing there. But notice verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall He shall be, rather, gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, that's his sheep, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was in hunger and ye gave me meat I was thirsty you gave me drink I was a stranger and you took me in naked and ye clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came unto me then shall the righteous answer him saying Lord when saw we thee in hunger and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So, this, by the way, Is not their salvation that he's declared. It's not because they did these works that they are saved. It's because they are saved that they did these works, you see. He calls them the righteous. They are the righteous because Christ Jesus is their Savior. They prove that he is their Savior by the love that they had for others. By the work that they did toward others, you see. They proved that love. They proved they were indeed the children of God by how they treated others around them. Especially during that tribulation period. Because during that time, it's every man for himself. That's how the world is viewing it. It's, it's, it's killed or be killed. It's, it's do everything I can to survive. That's what, that's what the world, that's the mode that the world will be in. And yet God's people, those that will be saved during that time, and that's the remarkable thing, that in the midst of all of this destruction that's going to be going on on the earth during that seven year period, God's still going to be saving souls. And there there are those that he's going to redeem unto himself out of that mess, out of that judgment that's going to be going on on the earth during that time. There will be those that are saved during that time. He's going to redeem them unto himself. And the proof, the proof that they are indeed the children of God is the works that they are doing for others. That's going to be found in them. They're going to be unique compared to the world. Because the world is going to be this other crowd that he makes mention of here the goats, those on his left side. He, in fact, he tells them, uh, verse number 41, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in, naked, and you clothed me not, sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? They should have been listening when he was talking to the sheep. They'd have understood that answer there. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these You did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment for the righteous, but the righteous, rather, into life eternal. The difference is the righteousness, you see. That's what makes the difference of those who are in the kingdom and those who are out of the kingdom. I said that backwards. In the kingdom, out of the kingdom. Wrong hand. This is right hand. In the kingdom, out of the kingdom. Those who are in the kingdom is because of the righteousness. How do we get righteousness? Jesus. We don't don't have it. No other way. There's no other way anybody can get it. That does not change because they've entered into the tribulation period. There are those that have the mindset, they have the idea that somehow those that are in the tribulation period particularly because of what it says in Matthew 24 that those that endure to the end are the elect. Well, the reason they're going to endure to the end is because they're the elect. It's not that they're elect because they endure, you see. It's backwards. But there are those that think, well, because it says that there in Matthew 24, that you somehow have to earn your way during the tribulation period. No, it's never that case. It's never that way. It wasn't that way in the Old Testament. It wasn't that way in the New Testament. It's not now in this age of grace. It will not be that way during the tribulation period. All the way through, since Adam until today and everything yet future, the only way you get righteousness is through Jesus Christ. You can't get it any other way. There's no work that you can perform. There's nothing that you, you don't get it any other way You only get it in and through Jesus. There's no work that you perform. There's nothing that changes in time. It always has been and always will be Jesus. You have to have it in Him. He has to give it to you. That is the reality. There is none other way you can get it no work performed. No church membership. No baptism. No no Lord's Supper. No sacraments. Nothing. No work. You must be born again. And that is only in Christ. In him giving that grace to you. It's the same here at the beginning of the the kingdom, the manifestation of that kingdom. Here as the Lord takes His throne, those that enter in to that kingdom with Him are those He has given His grace to. They are the righteous, you see. Now, what? there's a great many ideas here <coughs> concerning what the kingdom of God is and it it runs it, it runs in all kinds of places and people taking verses out of context to try to get these ideas and and I've even seen where people divide up all of these ideas about what the kingdom describes and try to make it different kingdoms even different different sections of the kingdom I've seen them do that and it's And so we we need to be mindful as we look through the scriptures, we see these descriptions concerning the kingdom, it's talking about one kingdom. You see, it's talking about our Lord's kingdom. Now, some say that the kingdom is the human spirit and its relationship to God. But that's all the kingdom, the kingdom is simply my soul in relationship with God. Some say the kingdom will be set up by an act of God when history ends. And in other words, th- these folks that uh, particularly espouse this, they're saying that there's no kingdom now. That it's there's no reality of it now. It's only yet future. Some identify the kingdom of God as... Only the church, and you have to be have to be part of the church in order to be in the kingdom, and that gets really sticky there because you have the, the the different definitions by all sorts of people about what a church is, and then you have the different definitions of what it is to be in one of the Lord's churches, and then so you've got you've got you've got. Uh, ideas or doctrines coming around that thought from all kinds of perspectives concerning what the kingdom is. Um, Some even believe on that same vein that the church is going to win the world and then once it wins the world, then Jesus is going to come back and he's going to enter into this world of only saved people. That, that I'll just stop right there. That, that ain't no word in Scripture. Matthew 25 tells us <laughs> there's still goats there. Right? There's sheep and there's goats. And there's probably... Truth be told, we're not given a number here, but the way it's played out everywhere else in Scripture, there's probably more goats there than there are sheep. And so this but there are those that teach this. They believe that that we are we are actually supposed to fight against the social evils in this culture. And as we fight against those social evils, we are to focus on those social things. We are to focus on the political things and we are to make those changes so that we can usher in the kingdom of God. Well, that goes... I mean, we should take stand against social... Don't misunderstand. We should take stands against the social evils. We should should take stands against evil... Government. We should take stands against evil politics. We, we should declare that, that those things are evil. But at the same time we are declaring those evil, the answer to those things is not our new idea of government. The answer to those things is not our idea of how it ought to be done. The answer to those things is the gospel of Christ. And so as we take a stand against those social evils, as we take a stand against evil government, as we take a stand against the corruption that is in our world, the answer to that that we are also to proclaim in our stand against those things is that Christ Jesus is the answer. We are to declare His gospel, you see. That's what we are to be declaring to those around us. We are, we are not going to win this world. We're to strive for that. We are to, to desire that. But we also know that that's not going to be the case. Paul tells us very plainly that as we draw closer to the end of days, these days that we are in will wax worse and worse. That's the reality. And so that we're not going to win this world. Again, we should desire it. That our, our purpose is to preach the gospel to every creature. We should stand against evil in our world. But in our standing against that evil, in our preaching the gospel to every creature, we realize all of that is in the hands of the Lord. It is not in our doing. We do because we're privileged to do. God's still the one that saves. He's still the one that moves. He is the one that moves on hearts. He is the one that makes known to them the truth of the gospel. He is the, he is the one that reaps the harvest, you see. We get to sow the seed, we get to water it, the scripture says, but God's the one who brings it to pass. He's the one that makes it happen. He's the one that saves souls. It's not us. In fact, you will find in the commission that is given to us, there's no place anywhere in there that says get people saved. It doesn't say that. It says we're to go. We are to teach them all things that Christ Jesus has given us. And then those that believe, we baptize them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then we continue to teach them all the things that Jesus gives us. There's nowhere in that formula where we get people saved. Because we can't get people saved. <laughs> we can give them the gospel. We can declare to them the word of God. But it is God that saves the souls of his people. He is the one that brings to pass the gospel in our lives. He is the one that opens our hearts. He is the one that opens our eyes to see Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Nobody else does that. Only God does that. He does that. We have the responsibility to tell it. We have the responsibility to teach it. We water. We sow the seed. But God is the one that brings it to pass. You see? And so we're not going to win the world but we are to be busy about obeying our Lord. What does the Bible say concerning the kingdom of God? Go over to Romans 14. Romans 14, verse number 17. Romans 14, verse number 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, these three things he makes mention of here, they are righteousness, peace, and joy. All three of these things are in the Holy Ghost. Now, He's given to us upon the new birth. He indwells us. He is the one that gives us that new life that is in us and He seals it until the day of redemption. That happens at our salvation when He comes into us. Now, the kingdom... Is made up of those things: righteousness, peace, and joy, in the Holy Ghost. If you're a child of God today, you don't have to wait till Jesus begins His millennial reign to have righteousness, peace, and joy. We're to have those things now. You see, we have we're to have those now in the Spirit of God as He indwells us, as He assures us that we are indeed the children of God. He is the one that gives us that righteousness. He is the one that gives us that peace. He is the one that gives us that joy in Christ Jesus. So He makes known these things to us. So these are fruits. These are are, uh, realities of the Spirit being in us that He bestows upon us. That, He says, is the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. Having that reality in us to know these things. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. And so this is the kingdom of God, Paul says. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's these things. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, the Bible also says, as we read there in Matthew 25 and verse number 34 that the kingdom of God is an inheritance. That God's going to give His people when Christ comes back and takes this kingdom. Again, we we just read that verse just a moment ago there, verse 34 of chapter 25. It says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit... The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this is, I love that. It's always been ours. It's always been ours. From the foundation of the world, he's prepared it for us, for his people. From the foundation of the world. And it's our inheritance that he's given us. But there is a day, there is is a moment at which time we will actually enter into it, you see. That, we will, that we'll be a part of it. He's been preparing it for us. It is ours from before the foundation of the world. But there's a day manifest in our lives when He enters us into it. He does so spiritually. He will do so physically. Spiritually on the day of our salvation, He makes that known to us. That righteousness, peace, and joy, We enter into it physically, here particularly during the thousand year reign, when our Lord enters, takes that throne and sits upon the throne of David there in Jerusalem and makes that kingdom manifest physically. We enter into that inheritance with Him. And so this proves the kingdom to be both a present spiritual reality as what Paul says there in Romans 14, but also a future inheritance of when our Lord actually comes, sets foot again upon this earth, splits the mountain of olives in twain, takes His seat in Jerusalem there and sits upon His throne and brings His people to Himself. And there reign in that peace And that joy and that righteousness physically for that thousand year period that is set aside there in the book of the Revelation. And so it's those two realities is what the kingdom of God is made up of. There is the the current spiritual reality. And that has been for all the saints. There is a coming physical reality when we will actually enter into these things physically and see our Lord reign in this earth. This is coming. The kingdom is a realm into which the saved have entered. Colossians chapter 1 Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 13. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says here, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of His dear Son. He's translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. That happens at our salvation. That's when that's done in us. He's translated us. That's the reason the Scripture calls us pilgrims and strangers in this land. Because we we don't belong to this world anymore. We now belong to the kingdom of God. You see. We've translated from here to there. Now we're still here. Physically. But we are sealed inwardly. In the new man, we are sealed by the Spirit of God and we belong to the kingdom of God. Even though it is not yet realized physically, we're already there. We already belong there, you see. That is where our identity is. That is where we belong. That is our residency that we are longing for and looking forward to. And it's the reason, I love that there in in Hebrews chapter 11 where it tells us Abraham would not settle in the land of promise, even though that was exactly what God had given him. He continued to wander around as a pilgrim and a stranger in that land, continued to wander around in Canaan. Even in the land of promise, that was his land. God gave that to him. And yet he would not settle in it. He didn't stop. He didn't build a kingdom. He didn't build a city. He didn't even build a house. He continued in his tent throughout his life, wandering in that that promised land. Because, Paul says there in chapter 11, verse number 10 of Hebrews, he looked for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew, I I, I don't belong to this world anymore. God's got something greater for me. God's got something better. I want His city. And it's a real city, by the way. It hath foundations. It's not an imaginary thing. It's not just a spiritual. But it's a real thing. It hath foundations. Its builder is God Himself. Abraham says, I want to be there. Look for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's the state of every child of God in this world. We don't belong here. We're looking forward to something greater than anything this world has to offer. That which our Lord has built for us. We have entered that at salvation. Luke chapter 16. Luke 16 and verse 16. Luke 16 and verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time... The kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Every man presseth. That is, every man that believes, everyone that has Christ, he presses into that kingdom that is prepared for us in Christ. And so the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ, by the way, as we've seen here in these just these few verses, they are the same. We have people try to separate those out. There are those that say, well, no, the kingdom of Christ, that's separate from the kingdom of God. No, no, no. It's the same thing. kingdom of God kingdom of Christ is exactly the same kingdom. They are not divided. I know they're not divided because they're one God, you see. I and my Father are one, Lord Jesus said. So their kingdom is one, you see. It's not two different kingdoms there even though we'll find it listed for us as the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We see that listed for us. But it's the same kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's not divided in any way. Notice Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 5. He says, For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath an inheritance in now listen carefully, in the kingdom of Christ and of God. For right there it tells you it's the same kingdom. The kingdom of Christ and of God. That's their kingdom, the Father and the Son's kingdom. Kingdom. It's the Godhead's kingdom. It's one and the same. Now, Revelation 11. Revelation chapter 11, verse number 15. Revelation 11, verse number 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and we shall reign forever and ever. The kingdoms have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. It's one and the same. God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, they're all the same kingdom, same kingdom. There's no difference in them. At the same time, the kingdom of God is the realm in which we have entered at salvation. It is also that future realm into which the saved must enter when Christ returns. That physical reality of his kingdom. First, I'm sorry, second Peter, Go, second Peter. And look in verse or chapter one, verse number eleven. 2 Peter. Second Peter one and verse number eleven. 2 Peter one and verse number eleven. And he says here, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 11. Matthew 8 and verse number 11. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Won't be just the Jews. Won't be just the Jews. But it'll also be of us Gentiles. He's describing us here. Entering into the physical reality of that kingdom, and we will sit down there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in that kingdom of our dear Savior. All right, let's all stand, and we'll be dismissed tonight.